Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great Hello and welcome to part two of our podcast with Jonathan Wilson. All right, I was just before we go back into the magazine, Jonathan, I was just going to ask a wee bit about your about your books because uh, you've you've written about a wide number of uh, subjects. I think it's fair to say you've not done the same thing twice. I was just going to ask what's been your sort of favourite. Uh, of all your books for this sort of research period, what's been the most enjoyable one to research? Uh, that's that's really difficult. I mean, the, the Inventing the Pyramid um, was one of those books where uh, it's the only book I've, I, while I was writing it, I was pretty confident it was going to sell well and be well received. That it it, it just it sort of I, I guess without really knowing it, I've been doing research on that for sort of fifteen or twenty years before I came to write it. Uh, and I didn't realise that I had all these ideas or even that they sort of meshed together in a vaguely sort of coherent theory. So so that that was great because it, it sort of felt substantial and, and worthwhile, even as I was doing it. Um, in terms of the specific research, doing the Angels of Dirty Faces, the Argentina book was great. Just, yeah, spending a lot of time sitting in cafes with old Argentinians <laughs> while, they t- while they slagged off everybody they'd ever played with. <laughs> it was a load of fun. Uh, and then the, the the hungry book um, names had long ago. That's probably got the most, probably the most important original research. Actually, going through archives and demolishing myths that have grown mm. up over the sixty or seventy years, and getting a clearer picture of what life was like in in, in Nazi occupied Budapest, uh, which was, I mean, some of the stories are just horrific. You know, you kind of, um, yeah, that was a book where. You, you'd sort of you'd, you'd write you'd write a bit and then you'd suddenly realize you, you were crying as you wrote it because the stuff is so awful um but I, I think in that awfulness lies its its value as well that um, mm. that could happen in a a very sophisticated very civilized city you know in a place that had assumed it was um it was too sophisticated for that ever to happen um and it wasn't all right thanks Jonathan we jump back into the, the magazine. This is up in price, down in numbers. Last season's six-figure transfers compared with those of 1972-73. Again, uh, this is a lot of um, lot of facts, lot of detail here, and the list, the six-figure transfers in Britain from 1962, Dennis Law uh, Torino to Man United, up to the closed season uh, signings. Again, this this would have been a gold mine for your uh, your pub your pub boar. Uh, at the time, who would be able to recite all these hundred and fifteen thousand pound thousand pound transfers? But um, aye, anything that uh, jumps out at you here, a few a few names, well well known names, and maybe not so well known names there. Yeah, but I, th- I think the interesting thing about this is the um, the the fact it's being discussed at all. 
that we sort of think of this sort of um, uh, distaste and sort of uh, um, what's what I'm looking for, sort of revulsion at money in football has been quite a modern phenomenon. Mm. But it, it's clearly sort of playing around in the background. I mean, this, this doesn't sort of say this is appalling. Now, how can we how can we be spending you know uh, you know hundred grand on Peter Osgood when there's a nursing crisis or, or, or whatever? But it sort of underlies it. There's a, there's a concern about money and finance you see here. Um, so it's something uh, I noticed. Um, I try to think. I think maybe was it even just long as long ago I was doing my book on Liverpool, um, or maybe it's a Clough book. Um, so that's as if I kind of can't remember. And I'm just sort of listing my books to advertising. <laughs> I genuinely can't remember which of the books it was. But, but I have uh, the, the, the Clough book here. No, it, it is in the Clough book. I did, yeah. yeah, it is because it's, it's a piece in the Derby Evening Telegraph from 1968 by Malcolm Edwards. So it's a Derby have just got promoted. Is it 68? Is it always a 69? Maybe. Um, and he says, you know, you can't expect Derby to compete. And he, he uses, I don't think he quite uses the word super clubs. But he uses the word, he definitely uses the word super in the sense that we would understand it with super clubs. And he's talking very obviously of uh, Liverpool and Leeds, uh, who, who he specifies. And he also sort of hints that they're part of a bigger group. And I think you can assume that in that, he also means Manchester United, Arsenal and Everton. And what's fascinating about that is I think it's the first first use of this term, of this, this idea that there are super clubs who somehow... Their, their finance has given position above everybody else. Uh, and in the 35 years of him writing that to Roman Abramovich arriving at, at Chelsea, the only teams who win the league are those five clubs plus Aston Villa, who were already the most, yeah, the third most successful team in English history. So we sort of think of the 60s as being, in English football, as being this, you know, eight different champions, this time of great variety where there's a great equality at the top of the division. And I, th I think in many ways that, that was the greatest period of English football. Um, you know, just starting to make an impact in Europe. So you, it was certainly by the end of the 60s after the World Cup win, getting to the um, semi-final of, of the champ European Championship in, in 68. Yeah, I, I th it's a reasonable case that English football, late 60s, was simultaneously very, very competitive in Europe and very, very competitive within itself. And so uh, Eamon Dunphy in his book on Busby talks about that as being sort of the golden age. Uh, and, and you know, he talks as well about the perfect blend of sort of physicality and technique that, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a physical battle, but it's also skill is allowed to flourish. And tactically it's, it's become very interesting all the, you know, Ramsey and his imitators. Um, and yet already the seed is there for the yeah, big club stitch up we see today. Uh, and of course, what's interesting about that five, about five plus Villa, so let's, let's call it a six, is that very clearly Villa and Everton and Leeds are not in it anymore. Hmm. It, yeah, Arsenal certainly are, United certainly are, um, Liverpool certainly are. Uh, and then what's propelled the other clubs into that bracket? Uh, you know, it's, it's artificial inflation from... Yeah, external sources. So Bramwich at Chelsea and Sheikh Mansur at City. And then Tottenham. I mean, they're, they're sort of floating on the fringes then, floating on the fringes now. Um, and you know, and obviously haven't won the league in that period. So uh yeah, Leicester are really the only 
only exception in 50 years. And that, that I think is a very, a very sad thing. But yeah, I thought this was interesting just because clearly people are starting to worry about, about money and what's, what's it doing and, and, and you know, what, what impact could it have? So Andy, anything you're going to pull out from that? I, I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of looking at the, the number of Scots that are in, in these, that yeah. you know, it mm. was a, a golden period for Scots coming from Scotland to England. Um, Alex Forsyth, Lou McCarry, Ted McDougall, even though he was already down in England, Peter Marinello, um, Keith McRae. I mean, there's just loads of names there. Joe Harper. Jim Baxter. Baxter. Yep, yep. I see Dennis Stewart. I'm not not a Scot, but you spoke of Dennis Stewart earlier on. He's mentioned there. 275,000 from Sunderland to Man City. But yeah, Jim Pearson, uh, Stuart Pearson, who is a Scot as well, but he moved from Hull City. David Hay. It's just loads and loads of Scott, and it's it's good to see that there is a bit of that, not to this degree, but there is a bit of movement again, recently in the last maybe four or five years of, you know, top quality Scots coming down to England and actually, you know, be, being regulars. Andy Robertson, Kim, Kim Tierney being classic examples of it, um, but nowhere near these sort of levels. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, yeah, it's what we mentioned earlier, isn't it? That, um, yeah, there's not the little heard of Macedonian international. There's not the kind of the big Brazilian stars. It's, it's very much more well, but you know, legally it had to be very much more home based yeah. people. Right, we over the page again to Bobby Moore's column. Bobby Moore writes for you, and uh, this is headline: "The Good Life Has Its Problems." Uh, and so, so Bobby Moore sort of goes into. Uh, the the life of uh, of a, a footballer with endorsements and um, the the trappings of the trappings of fame. I mean, I, I would give it a go, but uh, yeah, he, t- he talks about the various things that you need to, you need you need to do to make the extra extra bread on on the side. Talks about things like this is your life uh, as well, and and the, the the pressure that's on that's on the big big players. Yeah, well, I guess there's, there's a couple of things there, isn't there? So the, there's um, the you know the, the fact that clearly in those days, I mean, I, I know they, they 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 do this today, but to make proper money, he he had to do the endorsements. You know, yeah. playing playing for West Ham was not going to make him sufficient money, and and then you know the fact that when his career was over and you know a couple of failed stints in management, and he ends up being a just a sort of bloke on the radio in. In London, <laughs> he's a bloke who does co-commentary for West Ham games, and yeah. he sort of seems such a, um, yeah, probably, uh, yeah, arguably one of the top two or three English footballers of all time, or England footballers of all time. Yeah. And you say in the World Cup, it's him and Charlton of the, of the two, um, and and yet he doesn't make anywhere near enough out of the game to be able to, you know, to, to properly retire when it when it's over. Um, so you know the fact that even that's a low level of of uh, fame, you know, comparatively, uh, he found difficult. I think is is interesting. Was, mm. was it Bobby Moore we were talking about in a recent podcast, Tom? The same sort of column where he was talking about during the summer they'd be out digging roads, and that, that, yeah, there was definitely that. that story. And, and I'm I'm pretty sure it was um, Bobby Moore, but um, yeah, just the idea that these footballers during the summer would have to supplement it by, you know, going out in roads and, 
and digging them up and laying tarmac and stuff like that. It's just in, it's so far removed from from today's superstars, and some of them not. Yeah, and even being paid less in the summer. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah, because the maximum wage when it first came in was was twenty pounds uh, in the winter and eighteen pounds. I think I think eighteen, might even sixteen, even in the summer. Um, yeah, the idea that we're not playing games, so we're not going to pay you a full whack. Yeah, obviously being expected to sort of stay in shape and and but the fact that they actually had a summer, yeah, you know, the fact that they yeah, they weren't yeah. going off on tours and and um, and yeah, that. The, I mean, when when Clough got to got to Derby, um, trying to think who the player was, it might have been Chris Balderson, it might have been somebody else, and he, he sort of gave him an ultimatum: like, are you a footballer? Or are you a cricketer? Because you can't do both. I'm not going to have you missing games because you you're off playing for Derbyshire, um, which seems such a such a strange idea. I think that happened with Andy Gorham as well when um, he was playing for Rangers. Or when he came to play for Rangers, he was also playing um, cricket as well. I don't know. I don't know who for. Well, he played international yeah. cricket, didn't he? Wasn't that one of your quiz questions in the, the blizzards? Yeah, it was. <laughs> which, which Scottish goalkeeper once scored four against Australia? There we go. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. It, if we go over again, then to shoot spotlight, April seventy four. There's a lot. So again, probably filler, but a lots, lots of good be pieces. Uh, uh, I've found. Where to start? Brazil upset fans. World champions Brazil were booed and jeered by 85,000 spectators in the Maracanã as they last as they stumbled to a one-one draw against Mexico in a friendly. So this is good. This is going over uh, everything that's ha- happened in April '74 as part of a month-by-month look back at the '73-'74 season. Uh, when there's the picture of Bob Wilson who. Like, I don't think he's ever looked any different to that. No, I've never seen a picture of him. He could be like fifteen or sixty-five, <laughs> and he looks identical. Like it's <laughs> that's a wee bit about Bob Wilson saying he's going to retire at thirty-two and take up a job with the BBC. He, he, he yeah, a... well, he he presented football focus for years, yeah. didn't he? he? Was like nearly twenty years presenting football focus. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it took me years to realise he'd been a footballer. You know, yeah. obviously, all I knew him from was football focus. You know. Yeah, well, he, he was because um, he played against Sunderland that uh, semi-final in '73. Uh, yeah, I, I only had sort of two images of him. So one of us him desperately flapping backwards as I think it's a Billy Hughes header uh, goes <laughs> over him, and then the other is him sort of not being particularly good at reading an auto cue, although he did get much better as he went on. And then yeah, you still see him at Arsenal now, and he's yeah, an absolutely lovely mm-hmm. bloke, but. Just hasn't changed at all. Just looks looks identical. So, quick quiz question. Let's see if you know this. Do you know his middle name? Primrose. There we go. The charity partner this season is the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share. This is a charitable organisation that provides various services and support to the local community, including the following a school uniform bank, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. They provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families and we will be looking to support them in any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers. We will also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group 
are aware of these vital services. You can follow them on the West Dunbartonshire Community Food Share Group on Facebook or westdunbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk for the website. And that's West Dunbartonshire with an N. You can also donate through our Just Giving page for the charity at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash shoot the breeze one word. Also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts at shoottb underscore podcast and at Scott's Footy Cards for updates and news on our charity partner. We'd like to say a special thank you to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of the story of the blues in the music for our show. You can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk where you can check out the details of upcoming gigs and new music. We'd also like to thank our producer Diane Jarden for her great work and support on the podcast. Please check out transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clybank. So uh, there's a wee bit there um, as well. Uh, three cent off. So that's uh, the Celtic and uh, Atletico Madrid European Cup semi-final at, at Parkhead, an infamous game. Uh, where three uh, Atletico Madrid players were sent off. And uh, there's a wee bit there, Old Trafford Riot uh, as well, Saturday the 27th. And it's sort of just rounding up. All, all the last of day of the season games, last full day of the 73-74 season in England and Scotland. Old Trafford United's match against fierce rivals Manchester City was abandoned four minutes from time owing to a rioting crowd. So that's the, the famous game where uh, Dennis Law scored late on for Man City. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the incredible thing about that is, I mean, just United being relegated just seems such a... a to be relegated... Six years after you've won the European Cup, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess that is the biggest challenge in modern football that that sort of safety net isn't there. Um, but uh, yeah, the and I sort of feel United haven't learned at all in <laughs> that period. That yeah, I, I find it an incredible statistic that only three managers have ever won the league with United. Yeah. Um, and, and all the problems they had replacing Busby, they just repeated replacing Ferguson. And yeah, you can talk about the, the sort of lack of football knowledge of the Glazers, but it's sort of almost like the, the, the club itself doesn't understand itself. It, yeah, yeah, 50 so, years on, they're just think, making exactly the same errors. Do you think Jonathan was, was Moyes the wrong man at the time, or should he have been given more time in the job? Ah. <sighs> I, I almost think it doesn't matter who the manager was. I think it's a, I think it's a structural issue that the problem was that Fergie did everything. You know, he he, he was his own sporting director. Um, and okay, David Gill had come in and, and had obviously been very successful as CEO. So to lose Fergie and David Gill at the same time was catastrophic. Mm-hmm. Um, but these two great sort of fonts of wisdom had, had you know, both went. Uh, and it's the same with Arsenal replacing Wenger that. You can probably isolate things that have begun to go wrong. I know Fergie won the league this last season, but you isolate things that have begun to go wrong in those final years as you know, as they became slightly more distant from modern football. And but their personalities were just about enough to keep it together. You know, Fergie more so than Wenger. Um, but then when that personality is gone and you lose the fact that you know, Fergie could walk into any ground, everyone knew who he was straight away. Mm. Everybody 
felt a, an urge to help him. He, he knew exactly who to talk to for everything. You know, you, you, okay, there's a, there's a, I've heard about this young player at Auxerre, say, uh, who, you know, I wonder if he's good enough for us. And he'd know two or three people near Auxerre who he could ring up. Mm. And they would say, yeah, he's really talented, but, you know, likes a drink, probably don't bother. And and that was how he did it. And now, yeah, they 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 they, they boast about having looked at this is, I can't remember how many some absurd number for four hundred and seventy different right backs before they signed Aaron Rambasaka. And so, hang on, you looked at four hundred and seventy, you end up with the bloke everybody was talking about from Crystal Palace who actually doesn't fit the way you play. <laughs> so, you know, where, where you should be getting the bloke we haven't heard of who turns out to be perfect. Yeah, you've ended up with a bloke everybody's heard of who doesn't fit. Um, so. Should I mean in retrospect, Moyes clearly should have been given more time because nothing's got better since. Um, I, I would give Van Hal more time. I, I think the football towards the end under Van Hal was there was evidence of it of it beginning to click. But I have to say, I'm I'm, I'm very much a Van Hal loyalist. Um, uh, I interviewed him, and in, I think it was 2016, and. He's he's one of the hardest people I've had to interview, mainly because he asks you quiz questions all the time. <laughs> so you'd say something like, uh, "Why why why did he shift to a back three just before the 2014 World Cup?" And he goes, "Well, who was my defence?" I mean, I've got to try and think. <laughs> who, who was the Dutch defence? He goes, oh, "Dawel Janmat, um, Ron Vlaar. I don't know some other people. I don't know. Okay, they weren't very good. I see that's the point you're making." Um, but yeah, I came out of that interview with it. Absolutely. It was brilliant because he told me loads of stuff and he, he kind of, um, he made me see things in a, in a different way. He's very good. He used to be a teacher and you can see that, but he's very good at getting you to agree with his point of view without actually telling you what his point of view is. <laughs> yeah. He leads you to that point of view, but I came out with this, it was the day of a league cup final. And I remember coming out with this absolutely throbbing headache. And going into a cafe and just downing water and coffee, trying to kind of get my mind back together before going to do the going to cover the League Cup final. So I mean, yes, Moyes probably should have been given more time. Um, Van Hal probably should have been given more time. Mourinho should never been appointed in the first place. Solskjaer was only necessary because of Mourinho, and I certainly wouldn't have kept him on beyond his caretaker period. Um, Rangnick was a bizarre fudge of putting somebody who might have been the right man in absolutely the wrong job. He was clearly the wrong man to be a coach. I think he might have worked as a, as a sporting director had he had control and, and authority. And I fear Ten Hag will fail because the structures at the club aren't, uh, yeah, just just a, not fit for purpose. Anything else we can see from the, those two pages there? I mean, I'm looking at the, the very last one. It says, in, in Sydney yesterday, Australia beat fellow World Cup qualifiers Uruguay 2-0, but the match was marred by a serious injury to home striker Ray Bartz, scorer of one of the goals. He was taken to hospital, paralysed down one side of his body, following an incident with U- Uruguayan Louis Gansto, who was given his marching orders. There's a, I mean, there's a lot going, going on there that hasn't been said, isn't there? <laughs> I mean, it must have been one one hell of a um, incident in order to paralyse him. Yeah. And, and and you know, sort of talk the, the other article about the three cent off at Parkhead. I mean, back then being sent off was was a huge thing. 
So that's why it's mm. such a big story that three were sent off. So yeah, it had to be something really serious back then in order for a player to be sent off. Yeah, I mean, even bookings, you know, the... Um, uh, well, it would have been slightly earlier than this, but uh, Best was booked four times in a season and so had to go to the FA to get mm. an extra punishment for the disgrace of being booked four times. Um, there was... Uh, uh, United played Leeds in the FA Cup semi-final in 1965 and it was this sort of notoriously bloody game um, finished nil-nil and there's all these sort of, you know, classic moralising pieces of you know how can football survive is this, is this how our best players are going to conduct themselves all, you know, all the usual nonsense two players were booked <laughs> and there were questions asked whether the referee could actually handle the replay when he'd already booked two players did that compromise them that he'd already booked mm-hmm. two of them you quite often find those the the sort of scenario you talk about there that they actually get booked for talking back rather mm. than actual fouls. You know the fouls all just it's part of the game. Just get on with it. But as soon as you talk back yeah. to the referee, back then that that's what the bookings were quite often for. Yeah, but maybe maybe this is a sort of um, some of the things going on here is a sort of you can just see the beginnings of the hooligan element coming into the game, whether it be on the pitch or, you know, in the stands or something. There's just a, a sort of under underlying feeling that, you know, it's getting a bit more brutal, the game. Well, it was United in that season in the second division when they got the really bad reputation for it. Because, you know, they're turning up in these smaller towns you just weren't used to having that many people and local police just couldn't cope and... and so I, I think, I think they'd they'd already had a, a stadium ban, hadn't they? Because um, they had to start a season. They played some games in Plymouth at the start of the season, yeah. one year. Maybe Anfield as well. Um, uh, but yeah, I seem to remember you know, dart being thrown or something. And I think that would have been two yeah, or three yeah. years earlier. Than when, this. when they, they played a home game at, at Anfield. Um, I, I I remember them playing at Plymouth. Right. Um, well, I, you, I, that's not to say they didn't also do it, do it at Anfield uh, but yeah I think it was the 74-75 the, the season where United it became sort of a habitual thing and, uh, with, with, with them Alright so we're going over the page into world worldwide now, you'll see you maybe I don't know if you've noticed this Jonathan but I've, we've sneakily put in a link here to your novel on this on this page if you've got 100 club in the corner uh, Okay I'd missed that Russia's 100 club Oh okay so yeah Oh, excellent. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just read that out and you can maybe tell us a wee bit about uh, about this. So it says 100 Club. A new member has joined Russia's 100 Club. Players who have scored 100 or more goals automatically gain admission. The latest member is Stretslov, who once blotted his copybook by serving a jail sentence after <laughs> hitting somebody. So I don't I think mean... that's quite accurate, is it? Well, it's accurate in as much as he served a jail sentence after hitting somebody. He was also convicted of having raped her at the same time. Um, I think that's slightly worse than blocking your copybook. Um, so yeah, my, uh, my novel, which is called Streltsov. Um, but I, it's, I was slightly baffled by this because Streltsov had retired by, he retired in 69, I think. Right. So I don't know if they only invested in five years later, but He'd he definitely done it earlier, um, 
but yeah, he, he the, the novel is about uh, this this real figure, Edward Sveltsov, who was this brilliant young footballer at um, Torpedo Moscow. Um, he uh, scored a hat trick in each of his first two games for Soviet Union. The first one was a 16 year old. Um, he would have been 19 at 58 World Cup. He was sort of expected to be this, you know, the star of the tournament. Obviously, became the 17 year old Pele. But on the eve of the tournament, on the the, the final day of uh, Soviet Union's pre World Cup training camp, um, he he went back to Dasha with with this woman, Marina Lebedeva, where something happened. Um, and she accused him of rape and he, he was then convicted of it. Now, there's all been all kinds of suggestions that um, he was framed. Uh, I have to say, having gone through the evidence, I, yeah. can I say this 100%? No, but my inclination would be he was probably guilty. Um, the, the problem is that you know, there's, well, it's always difficult to, to prove consent when two people go in a room together. Uh, but when there's no DNA evidence, uh, it makes it even harder. All we know is that um, she had sex with somebody of the same blood group as him. However, there was one other person in the house that night who had the same blood group. So it is possible it was you know, the other person who was an uh, Air Force officer called Edward Karakhanov. Um, so the novel is, is, is basically, it's, it's seen through the eyes of a, of a functionary, a torpedo, who sort of comes to, you know, he... He sort of falls in love with Stratsov. He reveres Stratsov as this sort of great young titan, um, and then goes through this 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 uh, process of disillusionment, where he tries to process that, that his great hero might have done something pretty horrific. And it's available. I mean, please get through the Blizzard website because then I get more of a cut. But if you really have to get through Amazon, then that's better than not getting it at all. <laughs> Is a novel something you always wanted to read, Jonathan? Oh yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, it was something that um, when I, yeah, late teens, I, I assumed that writing novels would be what I'd do. Um, and then, yeah, things, yeah, the reality of having to make money uh, went differently. And, and I'm very glad it did. Yeah, I, yeah, I love football journalism. Um, uh, yeah, I'm probably a better football historian than, than I would have been a novelist. But during lockdown, I had a bit of time and thought now's the chance to do it. I, I, I'd been considering this subject for, for years and I sort of, written little bits here and there, but you know, you need time to sort of to 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 write the thing properly and let it sort of uh marinate and, and, and shape it properly. So yeah, I had time in lockdown and and and, and got it done. Um and it, it's it you know it's it allows you to investigate events you've already written about but in a different way to investigate the sort of emotions behind it and sort of to dramatize it, to put yourself in the position of the characters to try and work out what they were thinking, what their motivations might have been. Um, and then, you know, I hope it also sort of looks at sort of deeper themes of of, of truth and how possible, it could, because the, the thing is written around the court case. So the court case is trying to establish the, t- the truth. Mm. Um, the, 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 the apparatchik at the club is, is writing his truth, but of course it's very difficult to, to pin down what that truth is. Um, and that I think is something that's easier to investigate in a overtly fictionalized form than it, than it would be in a history. You're writing a history saying we don't actually know if any of this yeah. is 100% true is pretty self defeating. Whereas a, a novel that's written through the eyes of one person, it's it's much much easier to to investigate that. 
Have we spotted anything else then on the worldwide compiled by Chris Davis? Well, I'm going to have my weekly dig at Paley. Um, Paley has announced that he'll play several exhibition games in South Africa to raise money for underdeveloped black areas, which means we know that Paley counted whatever goals were scored in those exhibitions in his grand tally of 14,000 goals. Yeah, I have I have a bit of a... Paley, fantastic player, but I just don't believe his numbers. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I was always a, a big Pele skeptic. Um, and then I watched the, I think it's Libertadores final and the semi final against Boca in 62. And he is sensational in those games. Like, he's, yeah, the kicking he gets and the way he just sort of fights people off. Incredibly, you know, all the skill in the world, but also incredibly physically mm. tough and resilient. Um, but I would accept that uh, his, his his goal tallies are, uh, 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 yeah. It's not like having scored 100 Premier League goals or even 100 goals in the uh, Soviet Supreme League. I think I worked it out. It was, um, he had to have scored at least 40 goals every single season and his career had to start from, from 16 up to about 40. So, you know, it was like, yeah, that's not going to happen, no matter. I mean, I don't even think Ronaldo or Messi would be up to a thousand, or, or, or have they? I don't think so. Uh, Ronaldo is he—he's at seven hundred something because he's just—he's um, just broken Pepe Bichan's record. Mm. Uh, but even there, I mean, Ronaldo's figures—I think you can be pretty. There's slight disparities, but fundamentally, we know what we mean by a senior game. Whereas yeah. Bichan. Because he, he played um, the whole series of sort of Hungarian regional 11s and things. Like, yeah, what counts? What's real? When is a friendly a friendly? And when it's actually a bit more competitive than that? So any of these figures, you, you're sort of, uh, you're not really comparing like we like. Yeah, there's a wee piece there that says, an amateur player who insulted the referee during a local Spanish league match received a very harsh punishment. He was sentenced to 100 hours of hard labour at Vigo. This involved mending goalposts and fences, sweeping playing fields and helping to build a new beach pitch. I mean, is that hard labour or is that just what apprentices did all the time in those <laughs> Especially days? Especially out there, it's in the sunshine, so he's, he's, he's probably having the time of his life. Uh, right, well, and the facing page there is another Tartan Talk uh, column, Tartan Talk by Ali Hunter, uh, the goalkeeper, and the headline is, Seeing the World Cup on TV has made me a better keeper. So this is him talking about his, uh, his, Scotland, his Scotland career. Um, as you know, I played in the qualifying match against Czechoslovakia at Hamden last September. We won 2-1, a victory which qualified us for the World Cup finals for the first time in 16 years. And that, though, was my last appearance for the Scottish international team. It's a lovely picture underneath, isn't it, of um, of David Harvey diving at the feet of, of uh, um, a Zairean forward. Yeah. But it's just uh, the... the, the the composition of that with the, the Zairean far right defender far left and him diving at the ground in the middle. Uh, and that sort of, uh, you, know, you can see the trees behind the stand in the corner. Just, yeah, you know, it's a lovely evocative shot. Yeah, and a great Zaire shot mm. there. Oh, it's a great shot, isn't it, with the leopard on the front, yeah. yeah. You, John yeah. Blackland, do you think that is on the left? 
you think? Uh, could be number six. I don't know if that's John Black. It's certainly Danny McGrain. Um, yeah. I don't know how else that could be, number six. It's a wee advert there if you see there in the middle for Tic Tacs. Tic Tac Mints. Yeah. Yeah. And the adver- advertising holdings. And then, what's the one next to it? Did I say Vowling? Rowenta, Ro- maybe? Yeah, I don't yeah, know. It could be Rowenta. That's like they do irons and things. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Kettles and that, yeah. <laughs> Right, well, we go over there. Was coming to sort of home straight the last few pages of the, ma- of the magazine. So, uh, the full page picture, cover picture of John Connolly of Everton. Uh, and then on the right hand side, we've got focus on David Nish of Derby County. Uh, so John Connolly there has got a big beard. Yeah, I always think he looks a bit sort of uh, Nicholas Cage in that one. Yeah, it's a classic Everton collar with the white sort of triangle, which you know they brought back, didn't they, when they won the league in '84-5. Mm. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a it's a great classic Everton shirt. Dishevelled, I think, could be the. I think he's got um, I think he's got that um, Vaseline thing going on on his eyebrows. Yeah. Uh yeah 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 definitely the his mm. right brow. There's definitely something yeah. in there, isn't there? Yeah. And the focus on David Nish, quite a colourful photograph uh, there, um, with the red and the yellow and the blue. Um, have a look at some of his some of his answers. Uh, most memorable match: beating Spurs five three in an FA Cup replay in nineteen seventy three. Biggest thrill: captain Leicester in the sixty nine FA Cup final. Biggest disappointment: being beaten by Juventus in the seventy two seventy three European Cup. I love his dislikes. Gardening and being asked to open fets, etc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, then he's, uh, person in the world you would most like to meet picks Ilya Nastasi, the tennis star. Over we go again. So cliffhangers is, is the next thing. This is talking about uh, the battles for the English League Championship. Leeds United and Liverpool. Uh, we're neck and neck in the latter stages of last season's league championship. First one and then the other seem to have the title in their grasp, but Leeds finally took the trophy that their irresistible early season form indicated. Uh, so, right, so it goes on to talk about uh, other league seasons uh, with, with two teams going for, the, going for the title until the end of the season. Yeah, this piece, I have to say, felt a bit odd given that 71-2 was arguably the greatest finale to a league season ever. Uh, when you know, Derby completed their season were you know, on the beach in Mallorca, literally in the hotel, list, with Peter Taylor listing down a phone. Um, and uh, both Leeds and Liverpool failed to win, which, which handed Derby the title. Like, surely that's just... You know, given this is only... You know, there was a season before last when this was written. Uh, yeah. You know, Surely people remembered that. Surely you didn't have to be told that the you know title runnings could be very, very tense when you had that. But it's also, you know, title runnings in those days, people drop points all over the place. Yeah. And that, that's that's the big difference to now that uh you know uh, was eighteen nineteen when Manchester City won the last fourteen games of the season to stay ahead of Liverpool. And you look at it now and it it, it appears a similar process is underway that yeah, yeah, yeah. They're only a point apart, but they're just winning relentlessly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it seems that they could only drop points playing each, each other. So yeah. almost, 
what it gets for yeah other other seasons other teams could be able to take points off the two teams that are going for the title. Well, I mean, this is part of what we're talking about. We're talking about Bremner that the, the the physical toll on on players was what gave you, I think, those those big collapses and the yeah. loss of the form late in the season. And while that's obviously sort of bad in terms of the quality of football played and terrible for the players, it's fun. Like you know, it it is good that you see these teams absolutely tying up and and you know, desperately struggling to to beat your know, weaker sides. Um, I mean, the season when. Leeds lost out to Liverpool. When would that have been? When they no, sorry, to United. That was in sixty six seven, and Leeds went to Birmingham for their last game of the season. Um, and if they'd won, uh, United would have had to get a draw against Villa in their final game. I think certainly, yeah, they've had to get something. And lead to th- a three 0 down at half time against relegated Birmingham, and they do come back to draw three three, but that that's that means unless United lose something like twenty nil to Aston Villa, they're <laughs> going to be champions. And they did lose, but lost two one. And you sort of think, that's the idea that a relegated team would go three 0 up in the first half against this Liverpool or or <laughs> this Manchester City, it's just just t- yeah, utterly unthinkable. Right, so we over then pages 34 and 35. This is soccer as I see it, Alan Ball. It's a remarkable number of high-profile players in this uh, in this magazine writing writing columns. Yeah, uh, Ball, Keegan, Bremner. Um, the, uh, what was his name, the Scottish keeper? Yeah, Nally um, Hunter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a good... It's a good quality product in that regard. Oh, and the fact they've, you know, even Saldana and De Tomaszewski, yeah. they've, they've, they've got big names, which makes it all the odder that they stick a picture of Peter Osgood <laughs> on the front. <laughs> so the headline here is uh, Frank McClintock, my number one captain. Uh, Alan Ball talks about one of the most underrated jobs in football is that of captain. Too many fans take this task for granted, and I believe that some even feel that all a skipper has to do is the toss up. Uh, so as he talks about the various captains that he's played, he's he's played uh, with, uh, including uh, Bobby Bobby Moore and uh, Jimmy oh, Bobby Moore as well. The other one is he's written for this magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he, he talks about Jimmy Anfield being a cap, captain at Blackpool. He was a fine skipper and helped me an awful lot when I was a youngster. He used to look up look upon Jimmy as a sort of father figure, and he was always willing to help me in any way he could. He taught me a lot about professionalism. I could hardly have had a more dedicated teacher. Uh, he was a lovely man, Jimmy Armfield. Um, uh, I met him a fair bit when he was doing uh, his Radio 5 commentary. So you, you, England games and things, he'd always be about. And just one of those people who's always happy to happy to chat. Yeah. Graces. Um, of course, it was him who told Jack Charlton he got the island job. All right. Um, it's the... <laughs> I mean that that that's that farce is uh, I mean it's too long a story to go into here, but basically Jack had got down to the final three, which eventually became a final four. But it'd been so long ago, the FAI had been puffing around for so long, he'd basically <laughs> forgotten about it and gone hunting. <laughs> and um they made the decision and uh, uh John Giles, who's one of the other candidates and yeah, thought he was gonna win, was in a hotel primed to go on the late show with Gay Byrne. And um the meeting drags on and drags on and drags on. And eventually they, they give it to Charlton. So Gay Burns is given a bit of, it's an amazing clip. 
he's given this piece of paper you know, live on the late show yeah which you know, a show that everybody in ireland watched yeah, yeah he sort of reads it out going the new manager of the republic of ireland is jack charlton whatever that means and just flicks a bit of paper aside and there's this deathly silence in the studio then one bloke whoops <laughs> and they just go on talking about something else <laughs> and it's only the next day they managed to get hold of jack who's um camera come where he was but he was he was he was off hunting somewhere and it was jimmy armfield who managed to track him down I said jack well done you've got the job so, which job <laughs> oh the island job oh oh good <laughs> and then rings back there and goes yeah he says yes <laughs> but yeah such a mess but anyway so um jimmy armfield lovely man uh, all right then let's uh let's go at home with the stars Again, this is a, a classic uh, shoot piece, uh, this, uh, isn't it? Um, so this is a Graham Cross of Leicester, pictured with his, his family uh, at home, uh, getting up to all sorts, <laughs> playing cricket out in the garden. It's just cla- it's classic and, uh, 1970s, isn't it? Everything about it, the clothes, just the, the decor, it's about everything, 1970s. What, what's he actually doing that top right hand picture? It, it looks like he's drinking a yard of ale, but I presume that's not what I, he's doing. I think it's a, a trumpet or something, or a bugle or something. Yeah, it seems it seems to be. Yeah. Uh, and then the goal lines again is more more letters. Uh, this week's star letter comes from Stephen Barnett of Leek, who wins two pounds. Uh, let's see continental stars in Europe. Uh, before the World Cup finals, few people in Britain had heard of Carlos Babington, but his displays in midfield for Argentina made him one of the competition's stars. In fact, Carlos could have been playing in the Football League for Stoke City. The Potters were ready to sign him up for £60,000 a couple of years ago. However, problems regarding a work permit stopped the transfer going through. What a pity the present rules prevent world stars from playing in England. Their presence would surely increase interest in the game. So that's just something we touched on earlier on. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to pick up Babington, uh, who um, you know, is a sort of peripheral figure even in Argentina. But uh, uh, it's interesting as well, the clubs who sort of tried to pioneer this, the fact that yeah, Sheffield United ended up getting Alejandro Sabea, but they, they nearly got Maradona. Yeah. And, you, know, you first hear that, so you think, oh, yeah, of course they did. But they actually did. But, you know, and then you know, end up with Sabea. Um, the, the, I, I guess... Yeah, the, the, those chairmen with slightly more entrepreneurial zeal sort of recognised not not just what what yeah you know, they could do on the pitch, but the sort of the the publicity that 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 big foreign names could could bring. Yeah, well, that's what happened in Scotland in the sixties with Hal Stewart at Morton, where he'd sort of plundered Scandinavia for a for a number of, a number of Swedish and Danish players uh, who were in Scottish football at the, at, at the time and. So I've got the, the headlines for it. Yeah, so so as Morton was to Scandinavia as Shakhtar Donetsk was to Brazil. Is that what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, Andy, anything you've seen there from the, the goal yeah, lines? Just uh, send your letters to goal lines. So the, the, the black uh, box at the bottom. So when writing to us, please mention the two features you like best in the latest issue of Shoot Goal. Now this brings us back to the, the recent uh, podcast that we did with Barry Tomlinson. There was the editor of Roy the Rovers and Tiger, and that was a tool that they used quite extensively through 
through the the comic was basically any time there was a competition or you wrote in you also supply what your favourite strips were and that just gave them free market research as to know what the what the best things were so shoot we're doing it here as well I, I don't think I'd noticed that before but I th- maybe because we'd spoke about it with Barry it's it's been in my head as well so that was quite interesting to see that uh, all right then, let's uh, let's go to the last couple of pages in the magazine. Uh, here's here's um, George Burley, Leeds reject, Leeds re- reject Ipswich success. Uh, so I think George Burley was rejected at, at Leeds as a as a teacher. I think he was only about fifteen or something when he went down for a trial at Leeds, uh, and then obviously made his made his name at Ipswich Town. Marked George Best on his on his debut. I was part of a sudden team that got relegated to the third flight in nineteen eighty seven. <laughs> so he's not fondly remembered then. no I, mean, I don't think anybody would blame him um, no I mean he, he uh, he's obviously brilliant for Ipswich and you know those uh, UEFA Cup winning days and everything um, and then uh, he was Ipswich's manager as well wasn't he when he when they finished fifth in the league in yeah, yeah. 2000 2001 and then he he, well, he started quite well at Hearts and it fell away is that is that right yeah yeah, that's that's right. Yeah, I hearts uh, were challenging for the title that season. We were about two thousand six, I think. Um, yeah, up to about, up to about January, I think. Yeah. Um, but no, he he wasn't the big problem. And basically, Sunderland always get relegated to the third flight in the eighty over Tory government. So, <laughs> th- th- thankfully, whatever happens now is going to be several years till we get to another eighty over Tory government. <laughs> Uh, and there's a wee advert. I think we spoke about this before. Uh, Andy's wee advert, the, the official Spurs yeah, shop. I was going to bring that up just to, um, because the one thing I always mention is that Spurs, more than any other club, were were ahead of the game when it came to advertising about merchandise and stuff. And that's 1974. They've got a, a an advert in here. Usually it would be likes of when a, a team likes a Villa, they would have um, done it straight after winning the European Cup, sort of building and winning the league, building on the success of that. But Spurs were doing it, obviously. They they weren't waiting till they actually won something or they'd probably never have anything in the magazine. So, yeah. Uh, and on the right-hand side there, the score of Soccer Century, which is the, the quiz, which, um, again, for that page, they've used that pink that's been in the, the magazine quite a, quite a bit. Any questions we've, we've noticed from those? Let's look at number 20. Rearrange the jumbled letters to find the nickname of one of Scotland's top clubs. E-T-H-S-D-O or N-O. Hmm. What could that be? What do you reckon? I can't even say. I can't even read what those <laughs> letters are. E T H E T H S D N. I will give you a clue. It's actually two words. Words, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The yep. There we go. Yeah. That's three questions you've answered successfully in this. <laughs> uh, and then on the back page, the final page is a colour picture of John Hollands at, at Chelsea. This is a, a, a pose for photograph, maybe at the training ground or something, judging by the trees in the background. Good looking man, wasn't he? It's a good badge as well. That's yeah. a nice photo. And like the, the blue of the shirt and the blue of the sky. It's just it's just a nice photo. Yeah. I mean you can you can definitely see sun in there, can't you? 
Is it Chris? Chris Hollins is his son. Yeah, well, it doesn't. It isn't Chris Hollins, doesn't, doesn't he have some some distinction as being the only man ever to play league football with an Oxbridge degree? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think that's mm. true. Because uh, he, yeah, he, he played like one game or something, got injured, and then went off and uh, went to university. Mm. All right, so that's has got to the end of the magazine. Brilliant. Thank you, Jonathan. So you you mentioned that. Um, have you completed the Jackson, the, the Jackson, the Charlton Brothers book, or is that something that you're still? Working yeah, it's, it's just uh, it's with the editors now, so it should be out. Um, uh, I think November is scheduled release, so I don't know if they might bring that forward to try and get out before the World Cup, but definitely be out before Christmas. So, so who's the publisher for the new book? It's published by Little Brown, so it'll be the first book I've done with them. But um, uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully the first of many. But yeah, it's. I mean, it was nice to kind of go back and do something in the northeast. I spent a lot of time uh, up in Ashington, and and yeah, Ashington's such a fascinating place that it's a it's a town or a big village of you know twenty five thousand, thirty thousand people. But between nineteen sixty one and nineteen sixty seven, it produced three different winners of uh, football of the year in England. Um, it's produced not just the two World Cup winners and the Charlton brothers, but also. Um, Mark Wood, who won the Cricket World Cup with England. And you could, I mean, it's arguable, but I think you can make a decent case that Mark Wood isn't even the best fast bowler of Mashington, and that's Steve Armisen. Uh, it's an incredible sporting heritage for, for such a small place. Um, and what I really like about it is the, the Weatherspoons is named after the Guyanese batsman Rowan Canai, who played a few seasons there in the early 60s, <laughs> which, yeah, I think just shows how sort of, um, uh, sort of integrated sport is in the mm. community. Like when you look at like the, the sort of a parish magazine or parish magazine equivalent from sort of the 40s and the 50s, and it's just this weird mixture of details and terrible mining tragedies and reams and reams and reams of sporting results because the sport was clearly such a major part of, of life there. So in terms of your other books, where's the best place to, to get them from? Uh, I mean, most bookshops should have them. Um I mean, yeah, if you go to Amazon, I just don't get very much of the money. So please, please <laughs> use bookshop.org or, or go to bookshops um, you know, and, and, and try and just chip away slightly at the, the hegemony of, of Amazon. But fundamentally, as long as you don't go to secondhand shops where I get no money, <laughs> I don't care where you buy them, just buy lots of my books. And, and if somebody wants to get a hold of you or follow you on Twitter, where, where would they go? Uh, John Wills, J-O-N-A-W-I-L-S. So first of all, that is my first name. First of all, that is my surname. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm on Twitter, and, and yeah, all details of, of things I've written in books, uh, yeah, will yeah. will be there. And is the Jonathan is the greatest games podcast still going? Uh, well, we're we're on a break at the moment. We'll 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 see where we're going with that. Uh, there's a few ideas being knocked around. I, I think we can safely say that there will be a Blizzard podcast on the history of football coming at some point in the not too distant future. Whether it's the greatest games format, whether it's a different format, uh, I'm not sure at the moment. Okay. I, I'm, I mean, I think if people are listening to our podcast, they should already be aware of uh, of the greatest games uh, podcast. But I think there's, there's quite a good quite a good archive there that they can delve yeah, into. Yeah, we, we, we've done well over 100 now, and um, yeah, it's me and Marcus Speller, the two two presenters, and we have a guest on, and we talk about an old game, and it might be. Uh, 
a game of great historical significance. It might be a game of great personal significance. Um, yeah, it's just three people talking about football, either in a very lighthearted way, a very emotional way, or yeah, looking at the uh, the details of the history of it and what it meant in the wider context. So it's ho- hopefully the tone is is pretty varied. So there's something for everybody there. Brilliant. Listen, Jonathan, thank you for for spending the last day and a half with us doing this podcast. <laughs> um, it's been yeah. very very enjoyable and appreciated. I hope you've enjoyed it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you okay, very much. And so. Um, if you're following the podcast there will be a, a website there is a website so there will be an associated web page for this show as well which will show, share the, the magazine contents as well so you can you can watch along um, while we're listening back and look at the magazine and we'll also include some links to the the non-Amazon web pages in order to get the books and things like that as well uh, so thank you again and thank you to Tom for being Tom Yep, thank you. I, well, I should just plug my, oh, my right. book. Yeah, yeah. This is my first book. This is just out last week on Pitch Publishing. We made the Bangry Scotland at the World Cup, Spain 1982. And, and again, go to Smithbookshop.org or anywhere at all, really, to, to sure. buy it. I, I was on holiday in Fort William during that World Cup. Oh, wow. So I remember uh, I remember watching the the... 2-2 draw with the Soviet Union in, in a guest house in Fort William. Wow. Um, I mean, I was five, so I may not remember that clearly. But Well, would that would that be your earliest football in memory then? Uh, I remember the FA Cup from that, yeah, the FA Cup final, but, but uh, pretty much, yeah. Right, so my... um, and I remember um, we were, because my mum was quite, uh, um, she was able to stop us watching football, me and my dad watching football all the time. Uh, so we were the day that England beat Czechoslovakia. We were, I remember we were walking down Fort William High Street and saw Trevor Francis score in a TV shop window. <laughs> uh, in the days when TV shop windows were a valuable source of, yeah. of news and information. Yeah. <laughs> that was a um, shameless plug from you there, Tom. We'll be having words about that later on. So <laughs> I, I was going to suggest doing a separate show for it, just me and you, but you know, that's, that's well, we can do that as well. Like... You've had your moment, you've had your moment. Um, yeah listen thank you again to everybody we hope you've enjoyed it until the next time let's shoot the breeze <laughs>